0: Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because, baby, you light up my world like nobody else. The way that you flip your hair gets me overwhelmed. But when you smile at the ground, it ain't hard to tell. You don't know. Oh, oh. But regardless of how you know me, you know I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh hell yeah, my thickies! Welcome to the show recording this week at the Leaning Tower of Thickness. Up front, some housekeeping. I want to make sure that you check out the rules for Mike's Thick Stack Attack on twistycape.com so you get a shot at this sweet prize. I also want to ask that you hit us with a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser because those are really helpful for any podcast like ours between this one and The Twisted Cape. Here come some shout-outs for this week. What's going on, Rayford, North Carolina? Stay safe out there in Miami. Welcome in Kellyville, Australia. Hey, Brussels, thanks for popping by. Finally, thank you, Tracy, California, for listening to the show. As always, we start by rating the thickness of my stack, so shake what your mama gave you while we check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Thick like a mega stuff Oreo, this week clocks in at a 7 out of 10 on Mike's Thicken Meter. Pretty thick. Pretty, pretty thick. I like the thick weeks because there's so much to ogle over, which means there's more to talk about. This week it is a little heavier from TC, but that's not a bad thing, especially with Marvel dumping a steady stream of Empire straight in your face every week. So this week, we will start with the DC books. Up first, we have Batman number 96. I gave this a 2 out of 5. It's a continuation of Joker War. This book features very much not dead and excellently drawn Harley Quinn with a Batman who was tripping balls the entire issue. He hallucinates the future where Gotham is completely cleaned up. He hallucinates about his parents on the night of their murder. He hallucinates hearing and seeing, at one point, Alfred. Joker has instead set up a theater full of dead people that he's killed while feuding with Batman. It seems that he's found a way to reanimate the corpses and set them against, sets them against Batman at the end of the issue. Right off the top, I love this art, but the story here didn't do, really do anything at all to enhance the struggle between Joker and Batman until the very end. It is mentioned how Joker is spending Bruce's wealth... But even that story feels secondary or tertiary to the main story, which should be a bigger plot point, and it isn't really doing a whole lot in the way of development. Four issues left in the main story, and I'm hoping it really steps up to this point Nightwing and Batgirl have been better than the main series, and that's a problem. Next on the docket, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal Legends of the Dark Knights, number one. I gave this a three and a half out of five. If you read the original Metal series, then you are already kind of used to these little anthology-style stories that give some background here and there. The first story really gets us in the head of the Darkest Knight, the Batman Who Laughs, who's now in like reanimated in a Dr. Manhattan body that he stole uh, whatever. As he recounts his dark history and his machinations to really claim as much power as possible, become a Batman who always wins, a, a Batman who's always proactive and not reactionary. He even goes to the point to say that Batman is a reactionary thing as a concept. It happened because his parents got killed. The next story tells us about the Robin King and how he came to be, which is really fucking dark and twisted. It's basically Bruce Wayne getting his parents murdered and killing the, the killer, uh, Joe Chill, right up front. It's just weird. It's, it's dark. It's real dark. Then we get some shorter stories about Batmanosaurus Rex. I just love saying that. Monster Truck Batman, Baby Batman, and Castle Bat. The thing I enjoyed about this, specifically the first two stories, like I said, is that they're dark in tone, giving a definite horror feel. I like that a lot, and I want to see it more in mainstream comics, for sure. I also enjoyed that it got a little bit more ridiculous as it went on. Batmanosaurus Rex, Monster Truck Batman, come on. And uh, the, the first two stories in, in this book are the real draw here. So if you're picking it up, that's what you're picking it up for. Next we have our DC Book of the Week, Deceased Dead Planet number 2. I give this a 4.5 out of 5. i said it before, and I'll say it again. Damn you, Tom Taylor. This book opens with Arsenal doing hero shit and saving people from the anti-life zombies, and you get the displeasure of watching him die. Constantine and the other heroes show up to save the day, sort of, before splitting up and sending half the team to Australia to, vi- to visit the other green spot on the globe that Swamp Thing has been persuading Constantine to do. He actually tells Constantine to shut the fuck up at one point, and they're like, oh, he's serious. I never realized he would get this serious before. The others get to, to Gotham as the off world team of John and Cassie and Damien get to Gotham and they get help for John and reveal there's a cure as Dinah keeps Ollie in a bubble because he's freaking out. There's a touching reunion between Damien and Jason, as well as Damien kind of putting the moves on Cassie, which uh, may have been long overdue. <laughs> Who knows? Teenage love stories. It's great. The team in Australia is either slaughtered or by a mutated plastic man or is falling into the maw uh, of, of that mutated plastic man as people who are in shadows look on. The thing I love about this book is that it has horror and it has heart, has good art and good writing, and there's real stakes from start to finish for characters that he makes you fall for in just a few panels. If you want a book to be reading on a regular basis, not bogged down by continuity, this is the one you should be picking up. Next, we have The Flash, number 758. I give this a a 3.5 out of 5. I was a real fan of this book up until about the third to last page. Barry is busy being a detective, just trying to piece together what Zoom is trying to do, and he realizes that Thawne is trying his best to target Barry, not The Flash. So Barry sends his Flash family away so he can can really just deal with these threats on his own, which he does in a poor fashion. He gets ambushed by the Tornado Twins, then Grodd, then Trickster, then Turtle, and then finally Thawne. And then here's where it goes off the rails for me. Thawne vibrates into Barry's body and takes over Barry's body. The reason it just goes off the rails for me is because we just saw this in Amazing Spider-Man and Superior Spider-Man, and I'm worried that this might be a worn-out trope, especially with this being the end of Josh Williamson's run. The art in this book is well done, uh, despite the artist switch for the last couple of pages at the very end of the book. Justice League number 50, I gave this a 3 out of 5. It's an overall oversized issue that ends the Justice League's time as overlords. I was not a fan of this overall story arc, if you've been listening to the show, but I did like how it ended. And that's probably because it was a Wonder Woman-centric story and she really just anchors the book start to finish. The Justice League stops the beginning of a war and Batman begins behaving erratically and way more dark than normal, suggesting some pretty extreme tactics. They learn about mind control tactics and enact a plan to overcome it and allow the citizens of Trotha to rule themselves with the united front. Like I said earlier, Wonder Woman just carries this book, and it's not even close. Without her, this entire storyline would not have worked, nor would it have been worth continuing to read. Here's hoping that next story up measures up to any of the other Justice League books being published right now. Strange Adventures number four is next, and I give that a four out of five. It's another Mr. Terrific Center story uh, with some Adam Strange mixed in, and I found this enjoyable. Michael Holt goes to Rand to further his investigation of Adam Strange, and he's greeted in a way that seems warm but never quite feels right. It's just sort of off the entire time. He's denied a certain set of records, uh, which are in the language, I believe it's peaked or picked, um, that he's learned the language for on the way back to uh, Rand. And, And then he gets confronted by... A bunch of ran soldiers in his bed he knocks them out using t-spheres and confronts the high minister who is uh, lana strange's father which sets up an awesome exchange he slaps mr terrific mr terrific kind of looks at him like cockeyed and slaps the shit out of him and he goes you dare put your hands on me and mr terrific basically goes the fuck do you think fair play means and it's it's just delightful uh, the portion of the book that does focus on Adam Strange sees him desperate to return to Rand to help turn the tide of a war, and his friends and allies, Superman, Green Lantern, are denying him help. More and more, it seems like his wife, Alana, is pulling the strings here and is likely behind whatever happened on Earth and to their daughter. I like how mysterious and fragmented the book has become, and having two artists on each book has helped to sell that. I'm hoping the story gives an amazing payoff as it develops, but I don't want it to dawdle as time goes on. We're four issues in, and it seems like we may have figured out the game already, and I hope that's not the case. All right, finally here on the DC end, Young Justice, 17. I gave it a 4 out of 5. I like this book, especially the overriding message of it all. Young Justice deals with the fallout from the Justice Doom War, primarily the cleanup. There are a lot of conversations that are clearly necessary, but one in particular is sort of shrouded in mystery. So you get Cassie and Wonder Woman... Superman and Superboy, Flash and Impulse, which is great because they do a speed-talking series of panels. And finally, Batman and Drake. That last one is the one that's shrouded in mystery because it's just a page of wordless panels and you're only really given body language, which makes me more curious to find out what was said. But the Flash-Impulse conversation, again, is the one that sticks in my mind because Flash tells Bart to live in the now and not take anything they have for granted. There's also a through story about this girl, Yolanda Chan, and her father uh, showing that everyone has a part to play, whether they have special abilities or not. All right, that's it. Right now we're going to take a quick break and get back into a strong week from Marvel. See you soon. Hey, everybody. It's Mike from the Twisted Cape. Do you like wasting time at work? We do. Uh, if, if you want to waste some time at work, hopefully not get caught, you should check out thetwistedcape.com. We have a bunch of satire stuff. We have some opinion stuff, some review stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. And other stuff as well uh, we have some contest stuff and some other fun stuff make sure you check it out uh, at your leisure at any time you want www.thetwistycape.com we'll see you there stay twisted uh-huh we're back uh-huh we're back uh-huh we're back all right uh we're gonna jump into these marvel books baby Starting with Captain America, number 21. I gave this a 4 out of 5. It's nice to get back to non-event comics with cool storylines. This story revolves around Cap, Bucky, and Falcon going undercover to expose and take down Selene of the Power Elite, who's brainwashing men in a small town in Ohio to basically do her bidding. She's also wearing a crystal that has stolen a portion of Sharon Carter's soul. Cap's squad busts up the ring before Selene can feed on a group of men, but it becomes a precarious situation immediately she turns those men on that team. Another portion of the book focuses on Alexander Lucan and his struggles between being Alexander and the Red Skull. He learns to give into the darkness when Tari flirts with his wife and the issue ends with him presumably being killed by the Red Skull. I like that Cap is really being put through the ringer here and forced to make adjustments on the fly, but he's being hounded on all sides. I'm interested to see what the endgame here is for the Power Elite. This is how I like to see Cap, though. Embroiled in a struggle for freedom against the Shadow Organization, using a lot of covert tactics and espionage, followed by big action pieces. Good book overall. The art makes me a little curious at times because certain panels stand out, and not in a good way in the action scenes, particularly a big splash. I am, however, looking forward to seeing where this goes. Next up, we're going to go to Empire Number 4. I gave this a 4 out of 5. There were some significant developments in this issue. For starters, it's largely narrated by Black Panther when it's narrated, which is a cool change. So far, that makes Black Panther, Reed Richards, and Tony Stark primary narrators. Teddy begins acting out of character, which sets the Human Torch and Captain Marvel to stand against him. And when they do, they get teleported away to Billy and Teddy's home. What sets them off? Well, Teddy proposes killing the Sun, which would wipe out all life in the system, just to kill the Katati. Reed and Tony talk while Tony is working through his process in his own way, which is making new armor. They make reference of how everybody has their process. Thor goes on a quest, Tony makes armor, cap, you know, does cap shit. T'Challa defends Wakanda as the Katati are trying to get that vibranium-enriched soil, while Mantis tries to get through to her son, Koi. That'll come up again later in the episode here. During this exchange, She-Hulk, a.k.a. Hulk, as she's been referred to in the Avengers books, turns on the heroes. She closes in on the thing and reveals that she's Katati and has been uh, since the Katati killed her when she went to the moon and have been just basically wearing her like a set of clothes ever since. And the fact that she's green helped hide it because they can't mask that part of it. Koi seems to have stacked the deck really effectively here. This book wraps up with Billy and Johnny and Carol, and there's the revelation that Billy and Teddy got married, and that someone is clearly impersonating Teddy in a way that can fool the accuser's hammer. I thought the story teased plenty of future issues, uh, but this issue packed in tons of weight as well. Only a few more issues in the main series, which I've largely enjoyed as time has gone on. Artin's book is very nice, as well, considering a lot of the plant monstrosities in the book. Uh, I, th- I think they did a lot of really good research figuring that out. Empire X-Men number 2, I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is my Marvel book of the week, and this book shows why one does not fuck with Ileana Rasputin. The X-Men are clashing with the Katati when Horticulture, a group of old women obsessed with plant life and plant samples, shows up using a crocone gate, to so look at the Katati samples. They also disable that gate in Genosha. Genosha, however you say it. Angel and Multiple Man get pheromone gassed and see them as young, sexy women, and that provides a ton of comedy as this issue goes on. Also, they're more willing to do tons of stuff for them. Uh, at one point, Multiple Man picks up the one and, and like carries her in her like hover wheelchair thing. I, I don't know how to describe it. As I said earlier, though, Ileana just kicks a ton of ass in this issue. She takes down group after group of Katati and zombies and then summons a group of demons from Limbo to rip into the horde that's been attacking them. It just seems like it's all going wrong when the vessel that the Katati landed comes into play as a weapon. But... Black Tom Cassidy realizes something was wrong with the gate being disconnected from Kakoa, and Magic summons all available mutant psychics to Genosha to join the battle. I love this book, and I hope the issue contains more Magic badassery. At times, I had an issue with the facial work on the art, but other than that, it looked really good. I liked it a lot as a tie-in. Moving on Fantastic Four, number 22. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This issue was fun for multiple reasons. Initially, Spidey is sensing danger all around while Wolverine deals with the fact that he just stabbed Nkala a scroll child. You know, bad bad idea to call Wolverine in because he just gets all stabby with them knives. <laughs> Spidey's Danger Sense reveals the Dark Harvest cult, but not before finding out the Human Torch has a soulmate, which is an awesome reveal. Uh, this is particularly funny because Peter and Johnny are very, very good friends. These pieces of Pama are after Van the Creed Child, who they wind up taking. In the battle, Wolverine and Sky both get a whole bunch of poisonous tranquilizer-type darts in their bodies, and Franklin and Valeria use an image inducer to impersonate Hulk and Ghost Rider. They call Reed to let him know what's happened, But he inspires the kids, like a good father would. He also gives Spidey and Wolvie some dope Fantastic Four blue threads. Fun issue, it sets up a few things down the road once Empire wraps up. Spidey, I'm looking at you. Uh, I I do love the Spidey line about missing Fantastic Four Weddings. It's just so clutch. Uh, Good, solid art here as well. I enjoyed this book. Next, we have Giant Size X-Men, Phantom X number one. I gave this three and a half out of five. The book was cool. Spanning decades, it tells the stories of how Phantom X going to a place called the world repeatedly to see what I can only assume is his genetic brother. He goes with different groups, including the Howling Commandos, the Hellfire Club, the Humongonauts, and finally the X-Men. Ultimately, it's a fruitless exercise, but it's a fun read. I'm not sure what impact these stories are going to have on the X line of books going forward again, but hopefully they could be impactful later on. I really like the art in this book. It's a cool painted style with tons of detail. I'd like to see more of this in the X books, actually, just because you get some really great splash pages, and some good action panels with this style. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy, number 5. I gave this a 3 out of 5. This book is Moondragon heavy and has a strange but potentially cool payoff. So, the non-Moondragon bits first on Daggett's World. There's a hit that's supposed to be taking place on Rocket and his team of Guardians by Gamora and her team of Guardians, but it's an absolute setup by Rocket. Hercules does battle with the Prince of Power, which makes him mad because that's Hercules' pseudonym, I suppose. Causing him to break a containment unit that explodes and kills Mr. Naubark, who ordered the hit, when Hercules swaps places with him, courtesy of Marvel Boy, and I believe it's the Quantum Bands. Now for the Moon Moondragon part. Moondragon of 616, who's lost a ton, faces off with Moondragon from the best version of herself, superhero realm. Uh, in the realm of her mind, their mind—it's actually quite confusing. One, they do battle. Our moon dragon from six one six loses, but the other moon dragon says, "This is a, now rescue mission. I'm here to give you exactly what you want." They wind up combining bodies and minds, and becoming a perfect version of moon dragon. But outside of that, we really don't know anything about what her slash their goals are. No, I thought it was just a really cool, cool read. Finally here, Lords of Empire, Celestial Messiah, number one. I gave it a three out of five. This book is about our boy Koi and tells the story about how he fully embraces his Katati half and rejects his quote-unquote quote, quote unquote, meat half. As all things happen, this is a book sparked by mommy and daddy issues. Sorgeman is pure plant uh, when he becomes Koi's father, and Mantis is a guardian who's been spending her time traveling the stars a whole lot. The bulk of this, back, this book is backstory, and mainly about how Mantis loved Swordsman and saw his true value. It takes a dark turn, though, when we find out that Mantis has been using her abilities to mind-wipe those they live around when Koi's Katati heritage manifests, or when she psychically coerced the Guardians into doing Quill's bidding. The issue ends with Mantis calling for help from the Avengers, warning them that a Kree scroll armada is on its way, and unless she gets there first to stop Koi, they need to let them through. I like that it provided background on Koi, who's almost a footnote of a character up until now. Additionally, I like that it gives Mantis some darkness, especially since she's been kind of, uh, I guess the right word is dumbed down for the MCU audience lately, and that's the exposure that some piece of the audience only has to her. I like the decision to use multiple art styles in this book, the look at the memories versus the present day is a great visual distinction and it's even more impressive when you consider that it's just one guy doing it okay no interview this week uh, that that list is almost done that schedule is almost done if you want to be on the show there's still time to get in hit me up on twitter at spidermike 29 looking forward to next week if you like thickness it is a week for you if my sources feel accurate on the dc side there's a few books i'm looking forward to DC Death Metal number three, DC Death Metal, Dark Knight's Death Metal number three. Fuck, I'm also looking forward to Flash 759 and Justice League number 23 and Wonder Woman number 760. Uh, those aren't all the books; those are just the ones that I'm really looking forward to. On the Marvel end, Amazing Spider-Man number 46, Empire number five, Mortal Hulk number 36, and Marauders number 11. I'm very interested for that. Again, not all the books that are being released but those are the ones that I'm looking forward to the most this is the second episode where Mike Stick stack attack is live so send those guesses to the at gmail.com or at the twisted cape and or at spider Mike 29 on twitter if you're okay with being public or you just slide in the dms baby that is all the time we have for this week of course make sure you subscribe to the twisted cape on your favorite podcast platform if you haven't already what are you doing we're at the twisted cape no spaces on every social media platform facebook Instagram, twitter where we just went over 100 followers baby and on youtube make sure you tune into the weekly whatever the hell sam calls it on wednesday which we did this week on thursday which is right now weird to our, our live show on facebook and or youtube and leaving them comments we go over them at the end of each show and during as we get some interaction going there as well Finally, make sure you shoot us some feedback to this show at, the cave at gmail.com. Make sure you use the subject line, MTS. Thank you for tuning in. So until next time, you don't know you're beautiful. Oh, oh, that's what makes you beautiful. Wear a mask. Stay twisted. Fix stuck. The-